Hello, friends, and welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. Today is November 21st, and this is day number 325 on our 365-day journey through the entirety of the 66 books of the Bible. We have only 40 days to go before we complete our trek through both the Old and New Testaments, the book of Proverbs, and two times through the book of Psalms. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and we are podcasting from Eastern Oregon today, and we would like to give a shout-out to our family on the East Coast, especially to our dear friend Glenn Gray, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Glenn. We are always made freshly aware as we meet with believers in so many different countries with diverse cultures and travel the different states here in America that there is a mystical bond of fellowship in the Spirit which we experience immediately when we're together with other believers. The Bible describes this faith union we have with Christ and all the other members of His Church around the world as a mutual partaking of one Spirit, one life, under one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in us all. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's an immediate sense of the oneness we have in Christ. To be in Christ is to have the roots of our being in the eternal reality. We are walking in the life of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit, and the truth of the Spirit, the life of the Father, the way of the Father, and the truth of the Father, the life of the Son, the way of the Son, and the truth of the Son. To be in Christ is to be in the life. To be out of Christ is to be outside of life. When we are walking in dependence upon Him, in submissive obedience to Him, we are in the way. The missionary statesman E. Stanley Jones once saw a sign in an airport that said, As you slide down the banister of life, may all the splinters be turned the other way. He noted that if you slide down the banister of life without Christ, then all the splinters are turned the wrong way. He adds, to be in Christ is to be in life. To be out of Christ is to be out of life. He is life. All else is anti-life. Our prayer is that as we go to the scriptures, we will learn more of Christ, his life, his way, his truth. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel now, where we will be reading more about Ezekiel's temple. Once again, it is God who is giving the blueprint, and the scriptures remind us that Christ is the one who fulfills all that is spelt out in the tabernacle and the temples in the Bible, and he has incorporated us into his dwelling place, the temple of his spirit. So let's go to where we left off yesterday in the book of Ezekiel, and then we will finish our reading of the New Testament book of James. Ezekiel chapter 42 is where we are. The temple's chambers. Then he led me out into the outer court, toward the north, and he brought me to the chambers that were opposite the separate yard and opposite the building on the north. The length of the building, whose door faced north, was a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty cubits. Facing the twenty cubits that belonged to the inner court, and facing the pavement that belonged to the outer court, was gallery against gallery in three stories and before the chambers was a passage inward, ten cubits wide and a hundred cubits long, and their doors were on the north. Now the upper chambers were narrower, for the galleries took more away from them than from the lower and middle chambers of the building, for they were in three stories, and they had no pillars like the pillars of the courts. 
Thus the upper chambers were set back from the ground more than the lower and the middle ones, and there was a wall outside parallel to the chambers toward the outer courts, opposite the chambers, fifty cubits long. For the chambers on the outer court were fifty cubits long, while those opposite the nave were a hundred cubits long. Below these chambers was an entrance on the east side, as one enters them from the outer court. In the thickness of the wall of the court, on the south also, opposite the yard and opposite the building, there were chambers with a passage in front of them. They were similar to the chambers on the north, of the same length and breadth, with the same exits and arrangements and doors, as were the entrances of the chambers on the south. There was an entrance at the beginning of the passage, the passage before the corresponding wall on the east as one enters them. Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers opposite the yard are the holy chambers, where the priests who approach the Lord shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall put the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, for the place is holy. When the priests enter the holy place, they shall not go out of it into the outer court without laying there the garments in which they minister, for these are holy. They shall put on other garments before they go near to that which is for the people. Now when he had finished measuring the interior of the temple area, he led me out by the gate that faced east, and measured the temple area all around. He measured the east side with the measuring reed, five hundred cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the north side, five hundred cubits by the measuring reed all around. He measured the south side, five hundred cubits by the measuring reed. Then he turned to the west side and measured five hundred cubits by the measuring reed. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall around it, five hundred cubits long and five hundred cubits broad, to make a separation between the holy area and the common. Chapter 43 The Glory of the Lord Fills the Temple Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Chibar Canal. And I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst for ever. As for you, son of man, describe to the house of Israel the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, 
and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits and its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well as its statutes and its whole design and all its laws, and write it down in their sight, so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. The altar. These are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. Its base shall be one cubit high and one cubit broad, with a rim of one span around its edge. And this shall be the height of the altar, from the base on the ground to the lower edge, two cubits, with a breadth of one cubit, and from the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits, with a breadth of one cubit. And the altar hearth, four cubits, and from the altar hearth projecting upward, four horns. The altar hearth shall be square, twelve cubits long by twelve broad. The ledge also shall be square, fourteen cubits long by fourteen broad, with a rim around it half a cubit broad, and its base one cubit all around. The steps of the altar shall face east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, These are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is erected for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. And you shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar and on the four corners of the ledge and upon the rim all around. Thus you shall purify the altar and make atonement for it. You shall also take the bull of the sin offering, and it shall be burned in the appointed place belonging to the temple, outside the sacred area. And on the second day you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering, and the altar shall be purified, as it was purified with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish, and a ram from the flock without blemish. You shall present them before the Lord, and the priests shall sprinkle salt on them, and offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. For seven days you shall provide daily a male goat for a sin offering. Also, a bull from the herd, and a ram from the flock, without blemish, shall be provided. Seven days shall they make atonement for the altar, and cleanse it, and so consecrate it. And when they have completed these days, then from the eighth day onward the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares the Lord God. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage today from the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 42 is dedicated to the description of the temple complex buildings surrounding the central sanctuary. They are all contained on the sacred precincts of the temple shown to the prophet in the vision. Ezekiel is given the precise measurements and instructions as to the purpose of the chambers in the buildings. Rooms were dedicated to serve the needs of the priests as sacrifices were prepared and the priests' portions were eaten. Notice in Ezekiel chapter 42 verses 13 and 14 
there is a distinction between the holy, that which is set apart exclusively for ministry unto the Lord, and the profane, that which is to be used or worn in service to one's fellow man. A change of clothes was required to minister to the Lord in worship. A priest needed to change his clothes again before going out to interact with others in service or any social interaction. In Ezekiel chapter 42, verse 14. In verse 20 we read, He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around. The length was five hundred and the width five hundred to divide between the holy and the profane. The graduated levels and divisions that led to the Holy of Holies provided a separating line of demarcation between the holy and the common. These chambers were dedicated exclusively for worship and sacrifice to Yahweh. After measuring the inner house and surrounding buildings, Ezekiel is told to take his measuring reed and measure the entire complex, all the land that was allotted for the sanctuary. It measures 500 by 500 reeds. We learn that the measure of the reed is a cubit plus a handbreadth. Ezekiel is shown by the angel, who is acting as his tour guide, that this future temple exceeds all the former temples in size and beauty. He is told to share this vision with the exiles. It may explain why the temple that would later be reconstructed under Zerubbabel was a disappointment to some and caused them to weep. Not only would that temple not compare to the glory of Solomon's temple in the past, it did not match the glory of Ezekiel's envisioned temple for the future. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the events and places described in the Old Testament are relevant to New Testament believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, Now these things happened as examples for us. The Greek word translated example in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 is tupos, from which we get the English word type. A type is an image or impression, like that which is stamped on the face of a coin. The type is a representation of a real person or object. The Old Testament sacrificial system of worship described in the ceremonial law were prophetic representations or types of the life and perfect work of the perfect priest and perfect sacrifice of Christ. Here in Ezekiel's temple, as in the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness, and the temple of Solomon in Israel, the inner sanctuary, the third division in the temple building known as the Holy of Holies, speaks of God's desire to dwell with his people through the mediation of Christ. In John chapter 1 verse 14 we read, And the word became flesh and dwelt, that is, tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The desire is realized fully in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Notice the repetition of the number eight. There were eight steps leading up to the inner court of the priests in the temple area. In Ezekiel 40, verse 31, its porches were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars, and its stairway had eight steps. And then in verse 34, its porches were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars, on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. In verse 37, 
Its side pillars were toward the outer court, and palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. The number eight is a type of the Messiah establishing the kingdom in the new day. The eighth day is the first day of a new week. Jesus finishes the work of redemption and then provides the way into the sanctuary of God's holiness. He provides a new beginning for humanity, a new creation. Jesus rose on the first day of a new week, the eighth day. There are eight tables for preparing sacrifices. The sacrifices in Ezekiel's vision were all performed on the eighth day. When they have completed the days, it shall be that on the eighth day and onward the priests shall offer your burnt offerings on the altar and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 27. There is no court of the Gentiles, nor a court of women, for all are one in Christ Jesus. God's temple is a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, male and female. There is no altar of incense, nor a seven-branched golden lampstand in the holy place. Because the Lord is present with them, there is no need for symbolic prayer. Because the light of the glory of God is with them, no lampstand is needed. There is no veil separating the holy place and the holiest of all, the inner sanctuary, nor is there any reference to the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat that would receive the sprinkled blood on the annual Day of Atonement. Notice there were three levels in the temple structure. The plan of redemption was in the heart and mind of the triune God. The Father, in love, planned it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-6, through 6, the Son, in love, executed it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7-12, through 12, the Holy Spirit, in love, reveals it and actualizes it in the experience of the believer in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. The three levels and side rooms for the priests were only accessible through the middle level, so the only way into fellowship with the Father and the Spirit and the place prepared for the priests is through the middle, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. The side chambers surrounding the temple were wider at each successive story, because the structure surrounding the temple went upward by stages on all sides of the temple, therefore the width of the temple increased as it went higher, and thus one went from the lowest story to the highest by way of the second story, in Ezekiel 41, verse 7. Palm trees are carved in the woodwork and are featured on the walls, in Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 16, 22, 26, 31, and chapter 41, verses 18 through 20, and in verse 25. They are a national symbol reflecting the hope of peace and long life. Jesus is Israel's hope, the Prince of Peace. He has made peace through His self-giving sacrifice on the cross, in which He shed His blood to atone for our sins. Just as the carved golden cherubim on the lid of the mercy seat in the tabernacle looked to the shed blood sprinkled there as a prerequisite for the visitation of God's glory, so the cherubim in Ezekiel's temple looked to the palm tree, the promised son of David, who finished the work of redemption. Without being necessarily aware of it, when Jesus entered Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion, the people waved palm branches, put them on the ground before him, shouting, Hosanna, save us, son of David! In John chapter 12, verse 13, 
and Psalm 92, verse 12, on what we call Palm Sunday. It was a prophetic picture of the palms of the nation honoring Israel's hope. Chapter 43 describes the return of the glory of the Lord to the sanctuary. When the work of constructing the tabernacle was finished in Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 38 and the work of constructing Solomon's temple was complete and dedicated in 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 10 and 11, the glory of the Lord was manifested and filled the sanctuary. Now Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of the Lord returning to the new temple in Jerusalem by way of the east. Because there is no longer a veil, God's glory will be manifest to all. When Ezekiel sees the glory of God returning, he notes that the voice was similar to what he heard in his first vision of the glory of the Lord. It was as the sound of many waters in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 24. I imagine it similar to the thundering power of Niagara Falls. This is how the Apostle John heard it in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 15, chapter 14 verse 2, and chapter 19 verse 6. The Apostle John saw the glory of God returning in Christ in his first coming, in John chapter 1, verse 14. Ezekiel predicts the glory of the Lord returning to the new temple in the Messianic age. Whether or not there is a literal temple in the millennium, we read of a temple in the book of Revelation. It is Jesus, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. The manifestation of the glory of God as a bright light in the Old Testament has been called the Shekinah glory, although this term is not used in the Bible. The word Shekinah comes from the verb Sakan, which means to rest or to abide. This verb is used in Exodus chapter 24 verse 16. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. The shepherds at Bethlehem experienced the glory of God when the angels announced the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. Once again, Ezekiel falls prostrate at the appearing of God's glory in chapter 43 verse 3 as he did in chapter 1 verse 28. The Spirit lifts him up and takes him to the inner court where the glory of the Lord fills the temple. There Ezekiel hears the good news. The glory of God will rest with his people forever. Chapter 43, verse 7. Ezekiel is told to describe the vision that they might be ashamed of their iniquities. They should consider the plan. In chapter 43, verse 10. We need to have people hear of Christ and consider God's plan of salvation, which is to believe the good news of what He has done in the person of His glorious Son. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour to the New Testament book of James, and we will read the last chapter, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Warning to the Rich, James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Patience in Suffering Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains? You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The Prayer of Faith Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this concludes our reading from the book of James, and it concludes our reading of the book of James. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. James gives a strong denunciation of those people who have gained their wealth by abusing others. He says that there are those in their midst who are wealthy yet defraud their workers, withholding promised compensation. He exhorts all those who suffer abuse, oppression, and persecution to be patient, because the day of their vindication draws near with the return of Christ. The Lord of hosts, Sabaoth, sees every injustice, hears every prayer, and will put all right. These words bring those of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia to mind. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Patience is the attitude of God himself. He, like the farmer, is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. We are called to fellowship with God's patience as we endure times of suffering. James reminds the believers to be a people of integrity. When you make a commitment, keep it. Your word should be your bond. Be a community that knows how to minister one to another. There should be a ministry of song, prayer for the sick, confession of sin, and earnest prayer for supernatural intervention in the local congregation. 
God is faithful. He can restore the sick, raise up those who are bedridden, restore broken relationships, interact with and overrule natural laws. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. And Jesus is that righteous man. Get right with the Lord our righteousness and don't be shy to pray big prayers in his name. Let's be people who care enough to rescue those who are in peril. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now let's move on to the Bible's song and prayer book, the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Psalm 119, Aleph. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me. Beth How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And this concludes this portion from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. So here we are again in the great psalm of the word. Spiritually prosperous and happy are those who know the word of God. We are not just to hear the word, read the word, hide it in our hearts, but we are to walk in the way of the word. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 3. May all those who read the word discover Christ and trust him as the way of the righteous. Remember this psalm is divided into 22 sections, one section of eight verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each line beginning with the same letter. Verses 1 through 8 begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Verses 9 through 16 with Beth. Eight different words are used for the word. Notice here in the first verse, the law, that is the Torah in Hebrew. The other words are testimony, precept, statute, commandment, judgment, a principle of living, word of God, and promise. Now for our final stop in our Bible tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28, verses 6 and 7. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons 
shames his father. The first part of this proverb sounds like it came from today's reading in the fifth chapter of James. Verse 7 sounds like an exposition of Psalm 119, verse 1, and the last phrase is a summary of the grief caused when one squanders one's life in a lifestyle of self-indulgence. Now let's pray. Lord, we love your law. We delight in your testimonies. We rejoice in your statutes. We thank you for your word made flesh in the person of your Son. We are grateful that he tabernacled among us and fulfilled every ordinance required to put us in a right relationship with you. We embrace his merits on our behalf and come boldly before you. May your thundering voice and your Spirit's power govern our walk and make us fruitful in every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today in this podcast. And remember, we've got 40 more days to complete our journey through the entire Bible. And God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and we'll continue reading Ezekiel and we'll start Peter's epistles. And we make a point to remind you that if you would like to receive a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible reading with illustrations and maps and charts that sometimes prove to be helpful, you can subscribe to a daily email at newlife.org and if you have any questions or comments we always welcome your input your uh, testimonies your prayer requests and you can write us at podcast at newlife.org and we trust that his word will prove to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your pathway today shalom